On this edition of the Good Morning Hamilton podcast, Scott Radley sitting in for Rick Zamperin today. Are we heading for an eighth wave? I know, don't roll your eyes. A lot of people are saying there is an eighth wave looming this fall of COVID because of new rules in the province, because we're going to be back indoors together. Is that coming? We're going to look into that. What about voting by mail? This is a new thing. Well, an expanded thing in the city of Hamilton. Is this going to help get more people casting a ballot or does it open the door to doubts about the accuracy of the election? We'll talk there. Why does everybody hate Nickelback? $3 movie tickets. Uh, and the Ticats and McMaster. So many things coming up on the show today. Stick around. Got lots. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Somebody went online and started looking and pulling all, I don't know how they did it, all the negative impressions on social media and everything else about bands and decided that here was the top 10 list of the most hated musical acts of all time. You ready? Number 10, from 10 to 1, Dave Matthews Band, Kiss, Radiohead, Fish, Bob Dylan, Mumford & Sons, U2, then the top three, Creed, Limp Biscuit, and number one, who you were just listening to, Nickelback. Why is Nickelback so hated to the point where it's become a meme, it's become a running joke to say you're hated as much as Nickelback? Let's bring in Eric Alper, who is a publicist, a music commentator, I don't know. Have you ever represented Nickelback in your uh, in your publicity career, Eric? I have actually. Very, have you? Um, in, in my very first job, on my very first day, the record label that I was working for introduced me to their roster, and it was the Nylons, which was the acapella group, Patricia oh, yes. Conroy, who had a lot of big country hits, and Nickelback's very first EP that had their mother calling up radio stations, asking them to play the, her son's band. And she was Mama Nickelback. And uh, uh, the Nylons, the Nylons, by the way, played the halftime show at the uh, 96 Grey Cup here at Iverwind Stadium. In oh, the that's of right. Blizzard. That, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And a couple of them are still around. But yeah, um, so I work with them very briefly. I know the guys okay. in the band. I, I just from passing them on the red carpet um, and trying to catch the dollar bills that are coming out of the back of their of their pants. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, like and I've never really understood this because they're they're really nice guys. To begin with. So it's not like that they've done something horrible in their, um, you know, in their private lives. But if you go through, I think, you know, the the biggest knock is that all the songs sound the same. They are very derivative of of rock and roll. Well, I mean, no slight to anybody, but they're no different from the Foo Fighters or ACDC or KISS. ACDC, yeah, ACDC is yeah. a perfect, and look, I like ACDC, I like ACDC yeah. lots, I listen to ACDC at times. You know an ACDC song the minute Ma uh, Malcolm Young hits the yeah. first, or Angus Young hits the first chord. You know immediately that this is an ACDC song. You can't say, oh yeah, their stuff is all very different from itself. So that argument doesn't seem to hold much water. It all sounds the same. They all do. Um, most bands all sound the same, except for the Beatles. I mean, most most Fair people enough. kind of stay in their in their lane. You know, it was funny. somebody once asked um, Malcolm Young, um, "How come all all the songs on on their album on on their latest album at the time? How come they all sound this? All twelve songs sound the same?" And he said, "That's not true. All thirteen songs on the album sound the same." <laughs> um, but but I I I it, I. 
I think that it it's just less about the band and more about where they've actually come from. Because in the 1990s, when Kurt Cobain died, when it seemed like grunge music was on its last legs, um, you know, due to the death of Kurt Cobain, you had bands like Pearl Jam and Stone Temple Pilots. And they had to kind of adjust because once Cobain died, it just seemed like there was just this, this semi-sonic shift in the way that music was being not just played and became popular, but on the radio. So you had bands like Smashing Pumpkins and Soundgarden having to change their sound a little bit in order to stay relevant. And then you ended up with bands like Creed and Nickelback and Limp Bizkit still staying within their road because they realized that like, they've got an audience for it. You know, Kid Rock has never really, you know, moved from, um, from style of music to style of music. So he gets his kind of slamming online because of that. But I, I think it all started with the death of, of Kurt. And so, you know, the record labels, radio, um, the big venues, all kind of worked on having bands like Creed and Nickelback creeping into the radio waves as part of this cool new alternative mm. movement, while everybody else in the grunge movement was not just mourning Nirvana, um, but realizing that they're going to have to change a little bit. And uh, Nickelback's just still stayed the same. I, I, re- I was reading some stuff before this uh, on online theories of why Nickelback is hated. And, and see, I'm not even convinced Nickelback really is hated. I, I'm, I'm very aware that everyone says they're hated and everyone says they hate them, but yeah. they've sold more than 50 million albums. They can't be that hated when you've sold 50 million albums. But the one thing that seems to come up and I, and I find this hilarious that the one of the leading theories of why they're hated is because chad kroger uh the lead singer has a really bad i don't know if he still does but at the time a really bad ugly guy haircut that people hate and you look at him and people go i want to punch him in the face if that's the reason <laughs> you hate a band that's a that's a that's a pretty you know, it's a pretty weak sauce for hating on a band for that welcome to the internet um, uh, <laughs> I, I, where you don't even need a reason, um, uh, you true. know, do you, I, and I know that you probably remember this when there was a, um, there was a petition when they were announced as the, um, as the, the Super Bowl halftime show and they had something like 800,000 people sign a petition for them begging and bleeding for the band in the NFL, for them not to play. I don't even believe that 800,000 people have ever even heard of a Nickelback song, even though that they're pretty omnipresent. I think it's one of those things where the internet tells young, impressionable teenagers that, um, that this band is one that you are not supposed to like. And so I think a lot of people who claim that they hated them, one of the reasons why is that they were actually told to hate them. Um, even though that there's really absolutely nothing wrong with them. I mean, they are, they're specifically designed to feed a part of the industry and a, and a group of people who love music, who don't want Radiohead. You know, there's a very but big that, yeah, it goes the yeah. other way, doesn't it? It goes yeah. the other way because there are bands that we are told are amazing and you and I and everyone else knows that, okay, I'll listen to that person and you go, they're sorry, what am I missing here? They're not, I hate this music. Why does everyone rave about this? And I can think of five bands or so off the top of my head that I, that I think to myself, uh, what's the, what's going on here? Cause these are not 
this is not enjoyable. And yet I'm told if I don't like this, somehow I'm a, I'm a rube or I'm a buffoon or something. Well, so it goes the other way too. We're told what we're supposed to like. Yeah. And, and most people read about music far more than they watch it. But I think that works for a lot of things. Most people read about TV shows or movies that have actually seen it. So they're already walking in with some preconceived notion of, of what the ultimate commercialization of rock music is. Rock music should be, we're all told, um, vibrant and exciting. It's Elvis. It's the Beatles. It's um, the Sex Pistols. It's something that, that tells you to get all revved up it's the clash um but then you look at those artists that are on there on that top 10 most hated band list um i i, I completely understand why you too is on there but you too like which you too is it early you too is it the mm. octung baby you too or is it the you know the big bombastic i'm gonna stick our new album on the exactly. iPod for everybody yeah, exactly. to, you know like which is we, it yeah. and so i i think we're kind of told um in, in nice easy fork like bites you know you, you're just there supposed you to not like this yeah eric we gotta we gotta run unfortunately I'll, I'll throw this one out there uh the opposite of nickelback as we were just talking about the band they tell you you're supposed to like that isn't any good leave it with this cold play We'll uh, we'll talk we'll talk they to you soon. They just passed one billion dollars. I know, I know. And That's another topic that we'll get into. Oh, and and Drake too, by the way. Uh, appreciate it, Eric. Thanks as always for the time. <laughs> Have a great Friday. We'll talk soon. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We have uh, we have some good news here on Good Morning Hamilton. Mo news that will save you money, which I know is everybody's favorite kind of good news here on a long weekend. If you go to a movie at almost any theater in North America, including, yes, here in the greater Hamilton area, you can go see a flick for $3 on Saturday. It's National Cinema Day, uh, which, you know what, uh, you cannot do a whole heck of a lot better than that right now. Ashley Le Sauvage is the GM at Cineplex Ancaster. And Ashley, I believe, tell me I'm right, your theater is included in that. People can go see a movie for three bucks on Saturday? Yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, along with all Cineplex theaters, uh, we're participating and looking forward to having people joining us. This is um, this is a throwback. I'm having visions of my teenage years with 250 Tuesdays. <laughs> I remember those days. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a little bit. It's been a while. But all right. So. Is this, well, tell me about this. I mean, I, I know you didn't come up with the concept, but as far as you understand it, what is the reason for doing this? Um, essentially, it's um, the National Theatre Association of Canada and the Cinema Foundation. I want to thank uh, moviegoers for uh, coming back this summer. Uh, it's been a record-breaking return to cinemas, and now uh, we've decided to close out the, with, the, with the Labor Day weekend uh, with a big thank you, goer. Ugh, I'm so sorry. No, no, it's good. It, it's but is this has it been when you say it's a record setting season, record setting summer? I, I'm shocked by that. Have people come back in like in droves like that? Um, What's well, record breaking return? Um, it's you know it's been a great summer. Uh, we're not uh, you know after the last couple of years, obviously it, it, numbers have been way down. We've had a lot of closures to deal with. Sure. And uh, people have come back in droves. It has been quite a nice surprise, especially at the beginning of the summer. Uh, to see people coming back. Uh, we're loving having them back, seeing some familiar faces and a lot of new faces too. Have you sent a thank you card to Tom Cruise yet for Top Gun? Because that had oh, to help. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's uh, it's heading into its 15th week and uh, it's still going strong. Still selling tickets? Yeah, absolutely we are. 
how difficult was it? Have you been the GM there? Were you the general manager there through the COVID time? Did you experience what was going on there? Uh, at this particular location, no. I've only been here about a year and a half, but okay. I was uh, a GM at another location in the Niagara area okay. um, as we shut down. So, yeah, it was an interesting couple of years. Well, how tough was it? Because, I mean, first of all, the theaters were actually closed, obviously, for a while. But even then, when you could reopen, I have to imagine there was some reluctance by some people to do that. How, how difficult has it been to lure people back? Uh, yeah, it was absolutely tough, especially at the beginning. But uh, Cineplex put a phenomenal uh, cinema venue safe program into place, making sure that we had all sorts of protocols, following all sorts of government guidelines, um, whatever you know, public health was saying we did, we followed. Um, lots of enhanced cleaning, um, you know, following any kind of policy that was in place. Um, yeah, we had we uh, brought did a lot of retraining with our staff. Uh, making sure they were up to date on all their policies as well. And has it been a case where once people have returned, once they've dipped their toe back in the water, that you're finding that they're saying, oh, okay, that's fine. It's all good. It's normal. I'm coming back again. I, for the most part, I think so. Uh, we do see a lot of people, you said, returning you know, time after time. Um, we get a lot of comments we, and, uh, you know, from our guests saying that uh, it's, it's safer than they thought. Um, you know, but this is going back, you know, several months uh, these days. Uh, most people are just, you know, comfortable with the way things are. And, yeah, we are seeing a lot of people coming back and they're they're loving the experience again. Uh, it, you know, this is an unfair question to you, I understand, because you have nothing to do with the studios or what's made or anything else. But do you now, because of what you've gone through, are you even more paying attention to what movies are being released saying, oh, please be good. Please, please be a huge draw because we really need to keep this momentum going. Uh, I think so. Yeah. Like I said, you, know, you mentioned uh, Tom Cruise earlier, you know, big, those big blockbusters are great to have. And then, you know, we do get some smaller ones and, you know, we're real, always really hopeful that they're going to do well. Uh, some of them surprise us and do better than expected. You mentioned that when I said 250 Tuesday, now some people listening know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Some people who are a little younger don't have any clue. And go, What are you talking about? Once upon a time, and I don't know how long, how long ago is this? 30 years ago, maybe, which really dates me. Um, you could go every, every Tuesday. It was two fifty, And I think before then it was $2 Tuesday, if I recall correctly. And it was a lure to get people to the theaters. Do you need these days to do something like this for those people, not even COVID related, just for those people, quite honestly, you know, again, you don't set the prices, but for people to look at a movie and go, it's a commitment now. It's a night out. It's a, it's not inexpensive. Do you need something like this to say, Try it again. It may have been a while, but we need you to come back and, and see what seeing a movie in the theater is like. I'm, I'm guessing that's part of what uh, this initiative is. But I think for the most part, people who are fans of movies, they're coming back anyway. Um, we're, we're seeing the families. We're seeing all sorts of different groups of people coming in. Um, so I think, you know, it is a nice thing to try and entice more people to come in. But I don't know that, that that's the sole purpose behind it. It can't hurt. And, 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 you know, I went on, so back in early in the summer, I don't know. How many times have you seen Top Gun by now, by the way? I've only seen it once. Really? Okay. <laughs> yes. So yeah. We saw it earlier. And I say, one of the other things that's, that's hilarious now to me about going to a movie, you don't just go and go to the theater. There is the regular screen. There's the IMAX screen. There's the yeah. chairs that move. There's the, mm -hmm. you know, 5D smell around. I don't think you have that one yet. Um, but there's so many things now. It's not just going to the theater. There's so many choices for what you want to do. 
Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, while we might not have that 4DX is the one you're referring to. Uh, <laughs> well, we 4D, do have 5D, new, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I know. We do have a new concept here called ScreenX, um, which we're quite proud of. It opened uh, less than a year ago. And it's basically it's 270 degrees of panoramic screens around you. Uh, so it's almost like you're immersed in the movie. Is that that's not for regular movies, like general uh, releases? Yes, uh, some movies do. Yes. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. all right. See, now this is this is what happens when you know you get so busy that you don't go to movies enough. I yeah. it's got to be on my to do list now. Obviously. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Definitely check that one out. No kidding. No kidding. All right. Well, so National um, Cinema Day, three dollar mm-hmm. tickets, and this is for any movie that's in your theater. There's not just you know you're not just having one or two. This is anything. At our location, yep. Every single movie is going to be three dollars all day. That's right. See, nobody has an excuse now. And I said before coming on the air, I actually didn't realize this was this day until a few minutes before we talked. And (laughs) I have already gone and bought my tickets because I've wanted to see Elvis. And so Elvis is on the agenda now for me on Saturday night. So there you go. It's, um, you know, there's always something. Uh, It's it's a great thing. Ashley LaSavage, a GM at Cineplex Ancaster. Um, Go see Ashley on Saturday if you want. It's, uh, it's, It's, hey, if nothing else, it's a great, great deal. Ashley, thanks for the time today. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There is fatigue around this topic. I, I, I guarantee that. But it's 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 important to bring it up again because we are heading into the school year and we are heading into fall and we're heading into seas, a season when people are going to be more inside than they've been for a while. There are some who are saying that Ontario's new rules around COVID isolation policies is going to lead to what is being described, what some are calling a massive eighth wave. Now, we're not in this eighth wave. We're not facing that right now, but some are are warning that we could face this. Is, Is this a likelihood? Is this something that two weeks from now, three weeks from now, a month from now, we're going to be talking about? Thomas, Ten- Ken- Thomas Tenkate, pardon me, is a professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health with Toronto Metropolitan University, joins us now. Thank you for this today. I really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. So, as I say, the warnings that some are putting out there say that this is going to be a horrible situation, that in a number of weeks we're going to be facing, well, I mean, if we say eighth wave, I'm presuming they're thinking something similar to what we've been through before. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, well, I, I suppose when I think about this and say looking to the future, the way to sort of I do that is say look at the past, look at and then also look at where we are now in comparison to where we were at the same time in the past. And so, so if we look to the past and the history of what's happened with uh, with the with the COVID pandemic, in the in uh, the last two years, we did see a rise in cases starting around the start of September. And then getting hitting a peak in early January, uh, and then there was a sort of a secondary peak, sort of mid-April. So, so you know that's what the history is telling us. Uh, but also with from the history, at the at the start of, at the same time in the last two years, we actually had a lower number of cases than what we do now. So, so in some ways, our baseline for moving in, if you know, if the same sort of trajectory happens we're actually starting at a higher point than what we did previously. You know, so that's that's sort of looking to the, the past. Where, where are we now? Uh, you, know, I, you know, there's that aspect of the number of cases that we have. Then there's also, you know, what are the other 
other sort of measures that we're looking at, and that that, that includes the you know these water, wastewater signals of of you know virus in the in the wastewater uh, and and other measures, and and they're all starting to creep up again as well. So so I suppose you know taking all that in com, you know combined, you know it, you would have to say well the, the likelihood of of a uh, you know, a, an eighth wave with a peak in January is, is uh, reasonably likely. The, the flip side is, well, you know, we, we've got a lot, you know, we've got a lot more vaccination uh, uh, levels within the community. Uh, and, but, you know, going into the last wave, we, we also had, uh, you know, a very high level of vaccination as well. So, so I think, you know, the, the, the people who are indicating that there might be a you know, an, an eighth wave that might even be bigger than the previous waves. Uh, you know, I think that there are there is some evidence towards that uh, as being something that could could happen. What about the level of sickness, though? Because really, that seems to be for many people the the real concern here is. I mean, is the variant that is going around now all that concerning? If everybody gets it, or not everybody, but you know what I mean. If if we get a huge eighth wave, but the symptoms and the illness is exceedingly minor, like a lot of people have experienced lately, is that any different than a cold season or a bad whatever season that we have? It, are we not more worried about the people in ICU or the people who get seriously ill? And is that a possibility or a probability? Yeah, yeah, I agree. The you know uh, a lot of the people I've talked to who have. Uh, Who've had COVID recently haven't haven't uh, had the same sort of severe symptoms that they they've had previously, uh, and you know a number of people I know have you know had COVID like five times or or, or the you know in in that sort you know multiple times, and so uh, so there is that there there is the uh, you know the that seems to be the anecdotal evidence of of uh, people who are getting it uh, at the moment aren't, aren't getting as sick. Whereas what we see when we look at the numbers uh, for people who are having to be hospitalised, over eighty percent of people who are hospitalised uh, are unvaccinated, so they they don't have two doses. And so so what that's really telling me is that the you know the the serious uh, in, in, impacts are really being felt in the in the small proportion of the population who are unvaccinated versus the larger group of the population who are vaccinated who will you know the who are still getting sick, but aren't getting uh, so sick that that they need to go to hospital, and so and they're getting you know sick at a level that they can sort of manage within you know by staying home uh, and you know getting getting over it within you know within a few days. So 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 definitely that you know that goes to your point uh, of of you know the level of illness that people are starting to see. But uh, overall, you know if if there's more people getting it uh, and and that those numbers increase, then you'd likely see a increase in uh hospitalizations and uh, as well you know uh, because the, mm -hmm. the two go together I, i'm i'm curious i mean one of the things that people that some of the critics of the government's position are taking is getting rid of the five-day isolation rule is a bad idea though i really wonder how many people who have covid this summer or in the last little while are following that anyway. Everybody seems to be out. Everybody seems to be carrying on. A lot of people, as you say, don't even maybe know they've got it. Uh, is it really going to be that big a difference? I mean, are, is everybody who gets COVID following those rules now? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I think that, uh, you know, it's sort of reasonably fanciful to think that people are going to isolate for, for that period of time. Uh, you know, my sense is, and, you know, talking with 
people who have who've uh, had COVID recently, you know, once once the symptoms have eased off a bit, that then they're out and about again. And and I think one of the things to uh, sort of remember or, or highlight with with the the government messaging that that's probably not as uh, people haven't really sort of taken on board is the fact that that even though they've they've sort of decreased this uh, sort of isolation period, they're still really encouraging and saying people should be wearing a mask for for 10 days once they're out and about. And, and that's really very important. And so, so, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, once their symptoms ease off and people are feeling better, uh, I, I think, you know, sure, get out and about again, but do it by, by being protected and protecting yourself and protecting others by, by being very diligent with, with, with wearing a mask. Thomas Tenkate, a professor at the School of Occupational and Public Health with Toronto Metropolitan University. Now, a Toronto Metropolitan University bold. There you go. So you're new. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Appreciate, we're bold. <laughs> appreciate your time today. Thanks for doing this. Okay. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. That is uh, TMU's new athletic team name, the Bold. That was uh, that's what that was about. In case you missed that earlier in the week, you're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I'm assuming that most of you know that October the 24th we have a municipal election coming up in this city, not just in this city across Ontario. And this year we've always had a mail-in ballot option, but they've expanded it this year in Hamilton. So more people will be able to take this, do this, to vote from home, essentially to mail in your vote rather than going to a polling station. Is this good? Is this a good idea or is this something that opens the door to more problems or more concerns under the idea of being convenient, but doesn't necessarily always work that well. Well, let's bring in Dr. Zachary Spicer, Associate Professor in the School of Public Policy and Administration at York University. Doctor, thank you for the time today. No problem at all. This, uh, on its face, this seems like a very convenient way to be able to vote, and thus you would think uh, on its face would be a way to increase voting, which is always a problem in municipal elections, correct? Um, yeah, that's a, kind of a persistent concern. Um, we, we don't see a lot of uptake with, um, with mail-in ballots, however. Um, I think there was some expectation that more people would be opting for uh, mail-in ballots um, during COVID, but we didn't necessarily see that uh, with the federal or, or provincial election. So I think there's, um, there's a variety of different convenience voting methods, um, but um, Mail-in balloting uh, doesn't seem to really kind of uh, move the needle so much on uh, voter turnout. Um, uptake is usually fairly low, and I would probably expect the same um, this election here in Hamilton. So why do it then? I mean, I mean, some people, and when I say that, I mean, some people would say, look, if you want to make it convenient, why do mail-in ballots? Why not just have an online vote? Well, I mean, I'm happy to talk about um, online voting as well. In fact, Ontario is um, one of the sort of world leaders in this. Um, but we have about 180 municipalities across the province of Ontario who are using online voting. But um, in terms of um, in terms of mail-in balloting, I think it's probably um, maybe perhaps a little better to think of it um, in terms of accessibility voting um, as opposed to convenience voting. I know that I sort of mentioned the term convenience voting earlier, um, but um, I think we when we think of of mail-in balloting and who are the people who are who are probably going to be um, take, taking the city up on their offer to have uh, a uh, mail ballot. They're probably folks who, who may have challenges getting to uh, polling stations. Um, they may be folks who are 
immunocompromised and and and, and maybe worried about uh, contracting COVID if they do leave the house. Um, it's not necessarily always about just being able to sort of have an easier way way to vote. Sometimes it's it's really the only way that some people can vote these days. So um, I think of it as a way of increasing accessibility and equity in the voting process. Here's the question, though, that that I had immediately when I heard this, and that is, okay, let's make it accessible for sure to people who need to be able to do this. That's a good idea. But Elections Canada said in the last federal election, they had over 100,000 or roughly 100,000 ballots that were mailed in that didn't get counted for a variety of reasons. They had arrived a day late or they had something a little bit wrong on some way that something was filled out. And, and again, with so few people voting in municipal elections, even 1,000 or 2,000 missed ballots voting could have a huge impact on what happens with who gets elected. Certainly. Um, and when we think about um, elections Canada and a federal vote, 100,000 ballots um, being spoiled is probably uh, on par with what you may see in terms of spoiled ballots of those who vote in person, right? We're dealing with a very large number number of um, number of ballots. Um, I think the city, however, has done a pretty good job of, of um, providing um, extra security around the vote, so you can you can track your package. Um, you can you can drop your package off at city hall uh, if you're concerned about not actually making it in time. You can drop it off at uh, I think we have six municipal service centers. You can drop it off there. Um, and I think that you know if you're if you're concerned about not getting it in in on time, um, you can always um, uh, call call the city. And I think think provisions can can be made ultimately. Um, you know, we are dealing with a you know a fairly local uh, system here, right? Where um, getting a ballot from Victoria to Ottawa be perhaps a little more time-consuming than getting one from the West Mountain down to City Hall by by uh, by a mail. So certainly, there will be people who uh, who sort of send them in late. I I don't uh, expect those numbers to be massive, um, primarily because I don't think that uptake will be massive either. But you're certainly right. Some of these races are going to be very, very tight um, and could come down to a couple hundred votes. Uh, but with, with that said, I, I don't think that missed ballots are going to turn any particular race. Let me just ask one more thing about that. And does it open the door? The more different ways that we allow for voting, on the one hand, you say that's a great thing because more people, more options, more people will get involved in the process. And I, I think there's merit to that for sure. The other side of it, though, is more options. It, does it open the door to more doubts, depending on who wins or who loses, that the system was not done fairly? Does it create some doubt or potentially create some doubt that the winner was not the winner? Um, I, I don't necessarily think so. Um, or at least that's not how I would sort of see it. I think that people who um, are upset about about a, a particular outcome could you know could probably find a variety of reasons why they didn't get the outcome that that they wanted to. But I mean, um, mail-in voting has been used for uh, a very long time. I think that um, you know that we can say it's it is relatively secure. Online voting is tested regularly. It's uh, used fairly widely across. Across Ontario, so I don't know if, um, if there's any way that we can really kind of point to that as being um, a way that someone didn't get the result that they were hoping for. But um, with that said, you know we've seen um, in the U.S. Uh, you know that where um, misinformation can be propagated quite quickly sometimes. So it is it is always possible, but um, I I don't think that there would be a lot of factual basis to claims like that. 
Dr. Zachary Spicer, Associate Professor in the School of Public Policy and Administration at York University. I very much appreciate the time today. Thanks for this. No problem at all. Thank you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Ticats play the Toronto Argos, as is tradition, the Labor Day Classic. Uh, someone who knows a little bit about not only playing in these, but also calling them now as part of the Ticats audio network is a guy named Andy Fantuz. You might be familiar with his name. He joins us now. Andy, how are you today? I'm doing excellent. Thanks for having me on. Hey, how is the uh, how's the throwing arm? Are you are you ready to go in if needed? Because it looks like the Ticats may need a quarterback in there this weekend. <laughs> uh, I I don't think they want me to go in there. No, <laughs> I, I, I you know what? I think they're going to be all right. Um, it's tough that Matthew Schultz went on the on the sixth game IR with his broken wrist, but um, uh, you know it's a opportunity for for the other guys to kind of step up and and uh, get the job done. Yeah, you know what? It's been it's been bad luck piled on top of some bad breaks, and it's. Uh, but this, I mean, w- would you agree that where things are right now in the season? I don't know if you can say mathematically this is a must win game, but boy, it sure feels like it's pretty close to a must win game. Yeah, yeah, it's as close as it's going to get. I mean, if you lose this one to Toronto, you're certain. I mean, even if you win this one with Toronto, it's going to be tough to beat beat them in the tie break. So, um, you know, you got to be gunning for for second place, and and if you in the East, uh, because you're, there's likely going to be a crossover this year, and if. You know, if they go on a run, they could still get first mathematically, like you said. But um, if they lose this one, they go to three and nine. It's tough sledding because the best they can finish would be nine and nine. And uh, I'm afraid that that might not. Well, that's going to be tough because you have to win out. That would be tough. Yeah. No kidding. Now, now, listen. You, you, you don't. You're not playing anymore. So honest. You are allowed to be as honest as you want to be. You don't have to do the the player. You know the when is Labor Day when you when you're a player. You come in and you always would say, well, not just you, anyone. Uh, Labor Day is the biggest game of the year. It's you know. It's, is it really when now that you're done for Ticat players, regardless of what the schedule looks like or where the standings, is it really that big a deal to the guys in the dressing room as much as it is to the people watching? You know what. It is. It is different. It is um, because we're all in this in this together, and, uh, and and I mean all of us, meaning the organization, the players, the fans, the community. Everyone is in it together, and when it means so much to everybody else, it means so much to you. So mm. um, I remember my first year in Hamilton. We were we weren't doing that well. We were at the old Aberdeen Stadium, and and I remember the the first time the president came in to talk to us was like pretty much around right to, around today, a few days before the Labor Day game and gave us the, you know, the history of the Labor Day and, and how much it means. And this is the only game that matters. And it, and it really fired us up and, and we ended up winning that game. And, um, uh, yeah, like, like I said, if, if when, when there's so much buzz around it and, um, there is that, outside attention it, it does make a difference inside the locker room um believe it or not well you know what i actually do believe it um i, I do I, I i always wonder you know what it does to the players what it means but i mean clearly it does um that is andy fantuz you can hear him monday right here on chml as part of the game coverage uh the game starts at one pregame is before that fifth quarter will be after that one andy listen really appreciate the time today thank you 
Yeah, no problem at all. Looking forward to the game. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Tomorrow afternoon at 1 o'clock, tune in here to 900 CHML. Ted Michaels will have the call as the McMaster Marauders take on the York Lions in OUA football. Uh, Yeah, we're back to that time of year. Football, not just the Ticats on Monday. Football is back at the university level as well. Steph Potasic is the head coach of the McMaster Marauders. He joins us now. Steph, how are you today? Good morning, Scott. Things are great. Thanks. Is Are things starting to feel normal again after a couple of years of things being anything but normal? Uh, yeah, you know what? There's glimpses of uh, of it. it uh, it's a, a unique world, but there's, there's some resemblance to the old one. <laughs> In what way? What has changed? Like, what did you guys have to do last year that was, and even part of the year before, that was completely different from ever before? Uh, I mean, we like to make a 12-month-of-the-year investment in our young men uh, on and off the field, and, and uh, uh, some of the social distancing and realities of our world made that difficult. Uh, we were able to fire up and, and work hard at the end of a summer to save a football season in the fall and an abbreviated season and a, a, a no less travel, not getting across the whole conference, smaller divisions. All of that stuff was... Uh, better than nothing. Uh, and so uh, good on the OUA and, and everybody for pulling that together, but it, it certainly isn't uh, what you and I remember uh, back in the day. Well, and, and I would imagine too that, I mean, high schools were affected by this as well. And now that you guys are rolling and you've got a whole bunch of first year and even second year guys on your roster, I have to imagine that just recruiting guys to come to your school who are now playing was a bit of a nightmare when you couldn't see them playing at all. Yeah, no doubt. And and who you were as a 15, 16-year-old athlete and who you are as an 18, 19-year-old going to university, those are very different things. And so uh, it was uh, harder uh, to get uh, an evaluation and, and a fit uh, both on and off the field on a recruiting front. And, and so that, uh, uh, fortunately, uh, uh, the community coaches have worked hard to get the high schools back up and running city football and junior tie cats. My, my little guy plays and, and the, that organization is, is up and running and, and it, it is uh, closer to what we, we remember as normal. Mm. But because of that, and because of how much less you were able to see, and I'm not going to ask you to name names, that would be unfair and I don't want to do that, but are there guys who have showed up for your team who are better than you expected them to be because there had been so little visual and they go, wow, that guy's, and some guys maybe that aren't quite what you thought because you just hadn't been able to judge them as much. Yeah, that, that's, that's always a little bit of a, a guess. The football across this country is, is different. Um, but uh, um, again, and, and truthfully with the freshmen, uh, it's not where you come in uh, that matters. It's where you're going. And so uh, if you get a little better every day versus you're stagnant and don't progress, um, even if you're way behind, as long as you're improving, you're in, we're, we're going to love working with you. Um, and so uh, it, it's some of the vets that, that uh, disappeared over the couple of years that we went through COVID, some of them came back bigger, faster, stronger. Some of them came back worse than they left. And, and that uh, all of that uncertainty makes it difficult to manage a football program. But we got a year off and, and uh, this year we have none of those uh, or less of those challenges. So we're, we're excited for 2022. I am way too early on this one because you've played only one game and it's way too early to begin making any kind of conclusions. I will say this though. Tell me about, there was one guy last game that stood out and I watched and I went, this guy, if if this is who he really is, is going to be a star on your team. A guy named Jason, Jacob Patton. Who, who is Jacob Patton? Where did this guy come from? Because he was amazing yes, last week. Uh, Jacob's uh, 
been uh, one of the best athletes in our city uh, and uh, local product. I, he went to UBC. Uh, I had an opportunity when he was a freshman at UBC. I was his offensive coordinator with Mike O'Connor and the crew. Uh, he was one of the best receivers there. Um, I think he came home. He has a very talented soccer player as well. I uh, did some traveling and played some soccer overseas. Um, it's uh, it's his senior year and, and had an interest in still playing some football. I uh, knew we had some guys that could spin the ball and throw it a little bit and, and really excited that uh, academically and athletically we found a fit for Jacob. And yeah, I, I think he's uh, going to be one of the better receivers in the country. Uh, and uh, we're excited to watch him go. Week one was uh, no anomaly. <laughs> he can play now. His receiving was Patakian, pata, pat, pat, I, well, it was Steph-like. I, I can't even figure out how to make that last word work. It was very Steph-patastic-like on the field, hauling in balls like that when you were a player. Uh, I, 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 <laughs> maybe as polished, but way more athletic than anything I could muster. Uh, I, uh, he, uh, he, he's a, he's a great football player, and and uh, uh, worked hard. Uh, been at summer throws and and built a relationship with our quarterbacks and. Uh, yeah, he's a good one. Um, there, there are other helped. guys. Yeah, there are guys. For those who are going down to the game, we got to run, unfortunately. They're, they're, for those going down, he's number seven. You can watch. You can listen to Ted Michaels here on CHML. You'll probably hear his name called a few times. Uh, Steph, good luck this weekend. Thanks for doing this. Scott, thanks. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.